Hello, friends, and welcome to the second episode of the Scramble Podcast brought to you by Farmer's Hen House. More than just an egg, it's for the farmers, for the hens, for the environment, and also for you. And so we are fortunate enough today to have our president and one of the co-owners with us, Ryan Miller. Now, Ryan, I'm tempted to put a T <laughs> in your name. Why is that? Different Miller, though. And it's a different Miller. A different Miller, yes. How many, how many Millers are there in this area, do you think, if you had to guess? Probably 3,000. 3,000 Millers. Probably. That's like the whole town of Kelowna, pretty much. Yeah, if you count the surrounding area. Yeah. So for those of you who don't live in Kelowna, or perhaps southeast Iowa, or, or east Iowa, I should say, there are many, many Millers in this area. And I suppose that's because they had a lot of mills, right? Is, is that where the name comes from? It does, from Germany. Okay. Um, and the spelling got changed when they came to North America, and then just as is a very, I guess, big family, and as they spread across the country um, for Pennsylvania, there's just a lot of them. So there's there's settlers in. Yes. So your last name should really be Settler. Yeah. Instead, <laughs> it's Miller. Yes. So enough about that, Ryan. You're here today to give us some insights into Farmer's Hen House, what you're doing here, mm-hmm. maybe what I'm doing here, yep. what we're all doing here. Um, so we had Eldon T. Miller on last time. Eldon, as you guys heard, is the, the founder of Farmer's Hen House. And so there's a, a history here uh, with Ryan and his father, Mark, that I will let Ryan share. So. In that, Ryan, my first question to you is, how did your family get involved with the hen house? <laughs> That's a, yes, it's an interesting story. Um, I grew up just down the road from Eldon's farm, and my sister was working here after school sometimes. I was off at college. She was working here after school sometimes, or whatever, and... Um, Eldon being Amish needed to sell the plant area to what they would call an English family. So you say Eldon being Amish, he yeah. needed to sell the plant. What yeah, do you mean by it, that? Because it runs on electricity and everything. So and just if, in case you don't know, Amish people do not run on yes, electricity. They do not have electricity. So he approached my father about buying the business, and um, my dad was working for a feed company at the time. So he took a look at it. Um, I was a sophomore in college. I, he asked me a couple of questions about it, what I thought. I took a look at some of the stuff and said, yeah, yeah, it looks like a good idea. You know? So let me ask you real Knock quick. yourself out. Let me ask you real quick. When he asked you what you thought, yeah. was he intimating that you might be involved with this? Oh, no. No. Okay. Didn't even really cross my mind. So um, that's how he got involved. And then um, 
by then, my sister was out of high school, so she was the first like bookkeeper, secretary, that kind of stuff. For Farmer's Hand House. For Farmer's Hand House. Yeah. It was pretty small at the time, just a handful of part-time employees. Um, my dad did everything from loading the trucks, picking up eggs. Um, Gary, our current driver, was here, and he was doing some stuff and taking care of some birds that were here on site. Um, so it was a pretty small operation at the time. And um, I was in here... What, what year was this? This would That would have been in 2000. Okay. Um, I think it was in... I was only in here maybe one or two times prior to when I started in December of 2003. And that was just... A- Pick up some eggs for mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I didn't have much connection with it before then. Because you were going to school for what? I was going to school to be a teacher. Yeah. And you were a teacher, right? I was a teacher and somewhat administrator for a year. And I started graduate school right away because I wanted to be, or what I really wanted to be was a school counselor, guidance counselor. Yeah. So, and um, real quick, where, where did you teach? I taught here in Kelowna and in New Orleans. Which is just like Kelowna, pretty much. Pretty similar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except for the weather, the people, and the culture. So, so next, <laughs> next Mardi Gras, come to Kelowna. Yeah. It's just like New Orleans. That could yeah. be our uh, tagline. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I had a, a lot of a lot of good teaching experiences between uh, that and student teaching in San Antonio. So yeah, and you, and you did all this with your wife, right? Yes, Natasha. Yep. So you you both student taught in both San student Antonio, taught in San Antonio, and then both taught in New Orleans. Yep. Yeah. So you came back, you went to grad school. Yep, came back, went to grad school. Started working here because uh, it was starting to grow, and my dad was needing some help. And he had talked to a couple of the people about coming on board, and just didn't work for whatever reason. And um, all my classes were scheduled at night, so worked out pretty good. I was like, "Sure, Dad, I'll help you for a couple of years till I graduate." And, and you were getting a master's in uh, master's school counseling, in, yeah, in school counseling. Yeah. And so you were by by day. You were uh, working here, and then by night, you were a grad classes. student, yep. and then after that, Batman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we won't talk about no. that. Um, so, you graduate grad school, right? Graduated grad school, started working at a local district, and did that for two years while I was working here. Uh, I did most of my work for here at night. And what kind of work were you doing here? I was doing, you know, setting all the pricing. Back then we were small enough, I was ordering the packaging, um, working with customers. um, Everything. A lot of that kind (laughs) of stuff. A lot of the business side of it. Um, And then I started a local delivery route on the side in the morning. That was was your side hustle? It was, it was. Do Do you still do that? No, no, I gave that up. Well, maybe kids. Maybe kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got how many children? Three. And what are their ages? Fourteen, thirteen, and eleven. 
and we'd be remiss to not mention their names because they may listen to this. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Aubrey Cameron and Lauren. All the kids are listening to this podcast. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's just as big as TikTok. Um, and so you ended up being a school counselor full-time, right? For two years, At one yeah. time, yeah, two, two years, and then part-time. And then part-time, two years. I was basically here three days a week, there two days a week. So let me ask you, what was the... The gravitational pull to bring you into Farmer's Hen House full-time. Well, we started to grow, and there wasn't enough hours in the day. Because I really liked both jobs. It was Those two years were actually pretty fun because I had a lot of variety. Because I was working here, growing the business, working at the school, two totally different fields, a lot of stuff going on. Um, but by the end of the week... I was pretty, uh, I was pretty worn out. out. Yeah. So I could see, hmm, this isn't gonna, (laughs) this isn't gonna work long term. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of had to make a choice. We were growing enough that it was either, I had to go one way or the other. And, um, if I was gonna do this, now was the time to do it. And, you know, I couldn't, like, say, oh, I'm just gonna work at the school for another five years and then come back to this. It was kind of now or never. So, yeah. Yeah. So, if you were going to create a Venn diagram of school counseling and working for Farmer's Hen House, what similarities would be in the middle? Well, you're working with people, so that's that's one of the big ones. Um, That's probably the biggest one. Um, And trying to move move groups of people in a certain way or towards a certain goal, that would be probably the other similar thing or, you know, um, learn new things and implement new things. Yeah. That's probably the similar part. Cafeteria lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, no, thankfully it's not school lunch every day. No, no. that's, that's one of our goals for 2020, right? Is to put it, put in a cafeteria. cafeteria, Yeah. Yeah. But we only, we would only serve eight dishes. So well, you know, what else is there? Yeah, there's nothing. There's else nothing to, else to nothing eat. Nothing else to eat. Yeah, no. you don't need to eat anything else. No. It has everything you need. Exactly. <laughs> so, Ryan, do you, do you eat eggs? I do. Probably not enough. I should probably eat more, but yeah, you get some access to some eggs. I do. I do. I have. Uh, unfortunately, I have forgotten before to take some home and had to uh, run out to the corner store. What do you buy when you go to the corner store? Ours, of course, ours. <laughs> That's good. No other eggs measure up. I That's mean. right. So, um, when you kind of transitioned full time to Farmer's Hen House, was that just a a very confident decision? Did you have any second thoughts about? I mean, because you had put in obviously quite a bit of time oh, and effort in grad school. Um, was that you feel like it was something that you see how it just prepared you maybe for this or just was kind of it is what it is or because I yeah. mean that's that's a pretty big sacrifice was, to make yeah it was it was a hard decision to make because like I said I liked both jobs and I really liked a lot of the people I worked with at the school um, and that was a great experience but it was a it was that first year was good because I could tell I could focus more on stuff here and <clears throat> For the first few months, <laughs> I didn't feel like I was on vacation, but I did feel like 
things were easier because I wasn't trying to keep, being here being here yeah. because I wasn't trying to keep so many balls in the air at the same yeah. time. Um, I, I was just doing one thing that I could focus on. Yeah, and as a former educator myself, and working in nonprofit for right. a few years, uh, I can attest to that. Just to be able to kind of have us. I mean, obviously, you have many plates. Yeah. Obviously, as a president, you, you have spinning. Right. But um, the objective seems clear, right? There's yeah. the bigger vision, and it's not compartmentalized by, you know, what you'd find in education right. or in social work, where you have to focus on each case, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of moving parts there. Yeah. That, um, all have their own particular yeah. needs. <laughs> so, what has been? Um, the biggest learning curve for you coming on to Farmers? Mm, the biggest learning curve. And I didn't give you this question ahead of time, so. Probably some of the, um, probably some of the business analytics and accounting side of it because in college, you know, I'd been preparing to teach in social studies, you know, I worked in education and those aren't you know math heavy and business concept heavy yeah fields but um we've worked with some great people and as far as our accounting teams you know our our firms and stuff like that so that was one of the things i had to learn just kind of learn on my own um learn the hard way yeah, not too bad. Okay, not too many mistakes. <laughs> That's good. For, mo- for most things, I you mean, know. we're still in business. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're still in business. <laughs> yeah. I know how to use a calculator, so, you know. You, you know, Ryan does have this trusty calculator that's probably from like 1980 right i don't know know. or maybe it's just from a dollar store i don't know no it's these cheap ones we go through but i like i like those you got the big buttons on them and everything i get i get attached to the calculators i had i had one in school that was so old uh my classmates called it the mayflower because they're like that thing must have come over on the mayflower but it always worked (laughs) and i never needed another one so you know yeah, if it's not broke. If it's not broke, you know, don't fix it. Probably the other the other big learning curve was um, early on just learning the uh, mechanical side of what we needed yeah. from an equipment standpoint. I had to learn that really quick. Pretty much on the equipment side in those early days. Because um, let me ask you, what's been the evolution for us on the equipment side? Yeah. Like, what do we? What do? Yeah. Where were we when we began? When I got here, the machine they had from the late 90s that Eldon had gotten was small because we didn't run a lot of eggs, but it was really old. The technology for weighing the eggs was from, like, the 70s. You had to crank it, actually. (laughs) Not quite that bad, but close. Uh, There was no electronic detection systems, cracks, you know, leakers. Everything was done by two girls under the candling booth yeah totally by eyesight and hands and you know lights and mirrors in there right um and our quality was less than ideal let me yeah. put it that way it was it was not that great because we could we you know you just can't catch all that stuff sure um our second machine uh we felt like we took a big leap forward and we had technology that was built in the early 90s uh, the machine ran on DOS, you know. Oh wow! But uh, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, reliable, and we learned how to do that. But we got electronic crack detection. 
Oh, what's that? Awesome. So oh. that's where the machine pulls all the cracks for you. Now, how? What percentage of it is? I mean, what's the uh, the accuracy percentage? Oh, it's very very high. Yeah. Okay. Very very high. So uh, we had that machine for twelve years. Wow. And when we got it, it was twelve years old. Um, and then we added another machine just like it and upgraded part of the other one and we did that for quite a few years um, and then we just moved up to brand new machine with 2019 technology yeah. where we don't have to use any human eyes or hands to pull leakers and dirts and that kind of stuff but yeah. all along the way I had to learn a lot about that stuff that especially that very first year the first three months yeah which explains for you know for me being ignorant not knowing like you know an old machine from a new yeah. machine <laughs> i remember when you first showed me the machine you had a lot of enthusiasm for it yeah and understandably so because of what it can do versus oh, yeah. what previous machines had not been able to do yeah so well that's that's exciting so what do you what do you feel like what's the future of machinery in the business where, where else could it go it's a good question. That's a very good question. I don't know um, what all they're working on, but there's a lot of. Um, it's a pretty. It's a pretty small field. Like, um, there's only two companies in the world that build machines that do this. Build yeah. new machines that yeah. do this. Are they both abroad? They're both from the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. So Netherlands, home of what the uh, the Dutch Reformation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wooden shoes, tulips, and and most poultry equipment. That's from right. Everything from cages through all kinds of stuff. Even you know, like the software we use for tracking our inventory is a Dutch company. Yeah. So put that on your European river cruise stop yes, next time, right? Exactly. Check those I need, out. I need to get some good excuses to go check it out. That's right. So, so Ryan, as you obviously kind of think about the evolution of technology in the business um, and, you know, perhaps even where it could go to, particularly for Farmer's Hen House, um, you know, as you've been here for how many years now? Uh, this is year... I've been here for 16 years, so 16 starting years. year 17. And I've heard you say that you never could imagine Farmer's Hen House would be where it is today, 16 oh, years ago. No. Right. It no. was never in the forecast. So, if you had to come up with a forecast for the next 16 <laughs> years, I guess one, two questions. One is, is what do you hope to see? Yeah. Um, where, what do you, or what would you like to see, um, you know, not just as farmers, as a player in the industry, but also to, um, you know, kind of as a pioneer, as a, you know, to yeah. s somebody who is pursuing innovation and excellence in all things. Um, and then, yeah, where, where do you want to see it? And then I guess where do you maybe forecast the industry in the coming years, how it might change? Um, the industry itself has changed quite a bit in the 16 years I've been involved. Um, and I think there's gonna continue to be some change. Um, obviously, specialty eggs have become a lot more mainstream than they were in those early days. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to continue. Um, some of it's going to shift for for companies that are just specialty. Um, so it's hard to say what it's going to look like that far down the road. 
Um, there's always innovation, anything from machinery to just the bird's performance uh, is always getting better. And just um, good husbandry practices on the farm, you know, they're getting better production. Yeah. Then in the early days, we know better how the, build, the barn should be built, better how to measure things to make sure the birds have the right environment and that kind of thing. But I think through all that innovation, we want to be able to, we want to be able to adopt things that are going to help our farmers help us be better. But the one thing we don't want to stray from is keeping the individual family farm at the center of what we do. Yeah. So as new ideas come and new innovations come, we want to embrace those. But what I don't want to see change is the way these farms operate. You know, we want them operating just like they were 30 years ago where it's an individual entity and, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So a little bit of new, a little bit of old. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's something that has really reson- been resonant with me, and you've shared it obviously multiple times uh, as I've uh, worked here. But just seeing obviously you know innovation and possibility on the horizon that might make uh, production easier that might make you know um be a greater revenue source what have you but to balance all that and discern that in light of our you know identity and in which we were founded i mean eldon talked about this that ultimately farmers was started as a is a means by which family farms could continue to sustainably have an existence, you know, on, in farming, right. And get their product to, into retail spaces, um, and still have an investment, right. That these are their birds and <laughs> that's their farm. Right. Um, they're selling the eggs to us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is, uh, I don't know for some, for a guy like me, he's always in bit, overly ambitious I would say and trying to come up with that next new thing mm-hmm. uh, not that I've had any success in that but <laughs> but I but you know I think it, that's just a wisdom that you bring into this and and just too just a a integrity I would say that you bring into this and I'm not just saying this because you're my boss <laughs> and I got you on the mic but I mean that, that I think that that's what I find it very encouraging and I would assume other people would too and we we've seen sort of the other side of it a little bit I mean I grew up on a farm on a dairy farm I did know early on that, like, well, I probably wasn't going to grow up to be a farmer. But, um, for example, on the on the pork side of things, Iowa is obviously a giant pork state. Um, our the county next to us is um, either the most hogs in a county in the country or second most. Oh, really? Which it, it's very very high. Um, but all none of those farms are you know like individual operators where they own the hogs and then they sell them to the local um outlet um when i was a kid we had hogs almost almost every farmer in that area had some hogs yeah that they owned that they owned and then there was a buying station in Kelowna. there was one halfway to washington you know and all that and just in the span of you know 15 20 years that's completely gone yeah um because it just um, as technology came along and just margins were being cut and all that now there's lots there's more hogs in the area but they're all in these um, sort of cookie cutter barns that people put up as custom uh, growers the farmer builds the barn and gets paid so much a square foot uh, to 
take care of the hogs. Because you manage them, right? To manage them. Yeah. There's basically two big companies um, that own all the hogs and provide all the feed and manage all that. And um, to be competitive, that's what they have to do. I mean, sure. they, they wouldn't even be competitive if, if they tried to do the more decentralized way right. that they did in the past. And so... Um, but, and, and, and the same things happened a little bit in dairy as well, not so much in this area as, as other places, but those are the kinds of things we're, we're trying to provide a market for. Like, right. you know, that's that was Eldon's vision is provide a market to keep the farmers on the farm and not, you know, just a corporate farm. Right, not turn them into just managers, I guess, yeah. right? Well, and I think, too, one thing that uh, obviously – I've seen, um, and and you know, I think we do it better. But I'm, in, I am encouraged by there is kind of a particular uh, group of companies in our industry yeah. that are focused on continuing to help facilitate sustainable farming, yeah. right, for small family farms. Because um, I think it's it's always that temptation, right, when you have one person that does it, you know, perhaps in the industry yeah. to cut costs and to increase profits. Uh, to be able to to try and compete with them, there's that temptation to to do the same thing yeah. and to do so at a great cost, right? To the farmers, but in this community in Kelowna, that's a huge cost to the community as a whole, yeah. <laughs> just because so much of uh, the economy in this community is in farming, yeah. right? Uh, and in not not just big farming, but small family farms, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's that's something that I really appreciate about your vision is that. Uh, it's always in light of what is good yeah. for the family farms. So, um, kind of on topic but off topic, do you have any uh, epic egg <laughs> or farm stories that might uh, be entertaining for our audience? Well, I don't know about epic ones. It's pretty normal ones, but... Well, how, how about humorous ones or just... Yeah. I mean, anything would make for a good fireside story because <laughs> we have a, I mean we're, we're in a big lodge right now yeah roaring fire no we're not we're in a fluorescent <laughs> office with, with windows that look out not outside but into a hallway yes but we have windows nonetheless um that's a good question we've had a lot of just different things over the years. Well, I mean, what's what's like a story you keep coming back to? You're like, oh man, remember that one time when <laughs> you know the. I don't know why I just thought of this one. I, this one might not fit very well, but long time ago when we first, um, it was a technical revolution for us. We got a um, a machine that would tape the top and the bottom of the box for us. We didn't have to do any of it by hand. Um, we were broke down for a while. And what year was this? I don't remember what year. Probably yeah. like 2008 or something. Yeah. And um, so everyone's kind of bored while they're trying to fix the machine or whatever. And one of one of our employees that packs the eggs back there, maybe stacks the boxes, I'm not sure which, um, he said it would be interesting to see what would happen if he laid on his stomach and went through the taper. <laughs> Did you sanction this? Oh, no. Okay. I found out about it afterwards. I told him, no, I'm crazy. <laughs> so he made it out. So like. how I found out about it was they were like, oh, we have to cut his shirt off because he's stuck in the taper. Yeah. Thankfully, he wasn't hurt or anything. But, yeah, you know, the taper has, like, sharp things to cut the tape and, like, rollers to tape on the box. Yeah, so yeah. you can imagine if you stick your body through there, what happens? Yeah. 
So thankfully, everyone got hurt, but we were like, no, yeah. Did anyone get on video? No. At least you could have <laughs> some before, compensation for it, maybe. That was before most people had smartphones. I, yeah. That was probably the days of flip phones, so maybe it was before 2008. Well, that sounds like a sticky situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's too, that's a really bad pun. I apologize. Yeah. Um so that's that's it. It's the old the old uh, well, and, and you tape, know tape dispenser story. You know, you know Gary <laughs> Gary's been around here for a long time. Who's so Gary, by the way? Gary's the the gentleman who picks up the farm eggs. He's been here for a long, long time. He's he's like a he's a gamer too, from what I get. Yes. Not video gamer, but ping pong, chess, ping pong, chess checkers, checkers, you name anything. it. Yeah, he's yeah, very competitive. So, um, we had a long running tradition of playing ping pong back when we had more room in the office because we only had a there should be a table here. here used to be a table right in the middle of the office and he would keep meticulous records mm. and it would drive me nuts because I couldn't beat him um, so we would play every day and um, I think he got as high as 140 to 150 games before I beat him wow and then we were kind of on a level playing field for a while. So it was um, kind of like a sensei-student yeah. relationship. Well, but he, he's very competitive. Like, even if somebody who's not really played before plays him, he just, you know, he buries Spools him. him no, the water. Mercy, no mercy, right? Yeah. So, but the the best part is, if you beat him, you know, he just, you know, he just thinks it's the worst thing ever. So, sure. So, so he, he, he needs a rematch. That part's end. fun. That part's fun. So, yeah. You know, as we filled up the office and stuff, the table went away for a while, and uh, we kind of got away from that. But we just started getting back into it again this year. So, into what? Playing ping. You and Gary. Yeah, we've been playing about is there, every is there day. A table around here, or what? It's back in the maintenance shop. Oh, now you tell me. Yeah, we've been playing every, yeah, almost every day since Christmas. What do I got to do to get in on that? Uh, you have to beat one of us. Is it like a password? <laughs> knock on the door. <laughs> It's like a speakeasy. No. The ping pong speakeasy. No, it's just in part of Verton's office there, or Verton's area. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah okay. I got to get in on that. So, yeah, he's he's he he's probably he, he is the longest running uh, person here because he worked for, um, our facility was built as a conventional egg facility back in the 70s, I think. Okay. Um, but he started working here in the on the property in the late 80s or early 90s working in one of the chicken houses um so he's he's worked for you know a couple different owners of the property yeah he's been around for a while yeah that's um that's like a ribbon or something he needs right yeah when you get that or like a silver plate or something right yeah <laughs> um so with trying to keep this under 45 minutes um if you had three points for which you would recommend people consider Farmer's Hen House as their source for eggs, what would those three points be? Well, the first one would be they're providing a better life for hens. Um, they can trust that uh, the hens are living um, very well compared to a caged hen giving them plenty of space and everything. And the second thing would be that, you know, they are providing a way of life for um, a farmer. We have some of our newest farmers or some of our youngest farmers. How, how young would you um, say? Let's see. The youngest, the 
uh, one of our newest farmers is only like 23 or 24, I really? think. And, and you don't often hear about people entering into uh, farming as an occupation, right? And it seems like yeah. what, I, what I hear, at least in yeah. you know podcasts and news, is that farming, especially small family farms, are continuing to, oh, to be at risk. They're disappearing. Right? Like, exactly. so, so in our state, you know, of course, we're fairly agriculture state being the number one state for corn, pigs, and eggs. Yeah. Um, but the average age of a farm owner in Iowa is 60-something. Is it? Yeah. Wow. So, obviously. <laughs> yeah, what does that tell you? Yeah, so so that's one of the other things that we like is that we're able to get um, some younger people into it. So that'd be the second thing, you know, when you buy our eggs, you're definitely – um, a good portion of that money is getting funneled back to the farmer and um, back to the grain grower, which we're in Iowa where we have fantastic soil for growing grain. So a lot of the grain's grown right here. Um, and um, yeah, and the, the third part is, you know, we, we try to be a good um, community member and um, in providing jobs and just other things that go on around here and so there's a lot of people when you buy a dozen of our eggs there's a lot of a lot of people that go into that and, and it's providing a way of life for a lot of people yeah all the way all the way from the grain farmer up through the you know the person who packaged them in the box yeah yeah and if i had to add a fourth thing which i can because i get to <laughs> ask That's the right. questions on this podcast <laughs> Um, and I'll answer it too. What I would just say would be the environment. So yeah. I think, you know, we look at the specialty egg market and what makes it different than conventional is the ethics, right? The yeah. way the hens are treated, uh, the way the farm farmers are treated. But two, for us, what is unique other than rather than every or other than every other company is that we are hundred percent solar powered in our processing plant here. Yep. Um, which is something that, as you look at ethics, right, is how you take care of the hands, but also, too, how you take care of the environment. Yeah. Uh, I am biased, but I would say that's second to none. Yeah. You agree? I would. Okay. I would. And um, in that, I guess, and I don't know, I, I don't think Eldon touched on this last time because I don't think he probably had the insight uh, with the, or the history with it, but um, what is the, the quick story with how we became 100% solar powered. So our um, rural, rural electric co-op, which is called Farmers Electric. Everything's Farmers. <laughs> Everything's there. Farmers, yeah. yeah. They were around before Farmers Hen House, so maybe that's where Ellen got part of the name. I don't know. Um, they were really, uh, even though it's the smallest REC in Iowa, they were really kind of, uh, the guy leading them was kind of at the forefront of some of the renewable energy, especially solar power. They'd, they've had some small solar power installations here in the community for um, probably 10, 15 years already. Um, so they were working on some bigger projects and their board was in favor of that. And um, we're one of the you know biggest electric users in the co-op. And so they approached us about um, working together um, what year was this? Oof, I think 2016, 15 or 16. Okay. They approached us about working together on a project, and so we provided the space um, to put the panels, and they provided all the technical know-how and all that kind of stuff. I yeah. still don't understand all that stuff. but 
so that's how we work together and yeah we end up with a nine acre solar field that powers all the buildings here the cooling and all that stuff and then um, what's left over goes out in the grid and it's enough power that um, in the spring and the fall on like non-working days uh, when not that much is running like over the weekend and when there are a lot of air conditioners or furnaces running um, all the houses and everything in the REC uh, are running pretty much on solar yeah so yeah. That's, which is pretty cool because I didn't really understand how all this cross continent transmission lines and all this stuff works until I kind of got into that yeah and like for our power here they were buying a bunch of it out of like Missouri and you have to like transmit it up and right. you know and anytime you transmit over distance you lose um, a certain amount of the energy and things like that so here it's you know like I was saying with the grain we like to have our grain grown right here yeah our power is right here we're not having to transmit it across anywhere it's just right here and even even in the winter you know we don't it doesn't produce quite as much power but still produces power um and when it's a little bit cloudier and days are shorter and that kind of stuff is still plenty for everything you see around you that's electric and uh you know we'll see as technology progresses i'd you know i'd love to see an electric truck to go, go out and pick up the eggs but yeah. we're not quite that far yet on the technology well, yeah well tesla's got that new truck they put out if you talk i mean you and elon are pretty close right oh yeah yeah exactly yeah maybe you could send a prototype for us i don't know, I don't know if that truck a truck like that's ever seen the kind of roads we have to take it on that's true oh man i know about that a little yeah. too well um well it sounds like now there's two reasons to move to Kelowna. one is that it's just like new orleans yes oh, and yeah. then secondly is that if you come here you could very well live off of solar power thanks That's to the right. farmers electric co-op co-op yeah yep okay well ryan i'll give you uh, the last word if you want it here and if you got something else you want to share with the tens of millions of listeners who are tuning in <laughs> to the scramble podcast that's my vision for 2020 is that we get yeah, tens ten of million millions of listeners downloads yeah, yeah. that's We'll put that on my. That'd be a great goal. We'll put that on my job evaluation. Yeah, my, right. my performance evaluation. <laughs> Let's see. Right. This is a goal of yours. Did yeah, you meet yeah. it? No. Anything else? Um. You got a benediction, maybe. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just, just that we want to be a. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, we want to be a good neighbor in the community but also since obviously we touch people across the country we want to be we want to provide people with a good product that they can believe in and that they feel good about and that's useful for them um and do it in a responsible way yeah it's a big goal of ours so yeah it's a worthy goal that's why we say that we are a egg company with eggs that not only taste good but do good that we're more than an egg. There's a story behind the egg, which was the whole inspiration and catalyst for this podcast because we right. want to hear more of that story. Um, so thank you for yep. taking the time to share your story today. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this podcast. Again, it is The Scramble brought to you by Farmer's Hen House, an egg that not only tastes good but does good. For the hens, for the farmers, for the environment, 
and most importantly for you. See you next time.